Hey guys, this is Mag, and this is You Don't Wanna Know, the podcast. So, um, I feel like I'm starting every podcast the same way. Um, I'm apologizing because I cannot find the time anymore. Um, just so freaking busy, like... Um, what was it? Today is Tuesday and I'm going to release today, but it was Wednesday through Monday. I was just nonstop working. It was insane. I am hollow now. Um, my, the job just took everything out of me. So I am working back to be the person I was before I started that. It was like 15 hour days, six days in a row. Horrible. I am exhausted, but I'm back. Here I am recording the next day. So must not have been that bad. Um, so let's just jump into it right away. Uh, movie, you know how it is. Um, I went to Orlando Hollywood Studios and they have a ride called The Mummy, which is based off of The Mummy, the movie with Brendan Fraser. Gotta love him. Uh, so yeah, I, I just kind of got the itch to watch that movie. Same with Transformers and that will be next. I'll definitely watch that next. But I watched the first Mummy movie and I was honestly a little worried just because it's a little older. So I wasn't sure how it would hold up. And I will say it did hold up. Um, CGI, some of the stuff was a little like, eh. But I'd say all around, good, a good watch. It, can, it has stood the test of time aside from a couple of effects. But I mean, they just didn't have that technology back then. So I definitely recommend it. It's a good like thriller movie with some history, very... minimal history but history nonetheless good acting nothing too crazy now on to the true crime calendar okay so it says on january 17th 1950 11 men broke into the brinks armory car depot in boston massachusetts shout out to boston because it was so much fun and pulled off an unprecedented robbery leaving almost no evidence behind planning the robbery took 18 months during which the robbers cased the depot copied the keys to get inside and stole a map of the alarm system before returning it unnoticed the job itself the job itself was similarly seamless the robbers wearing a navy blue jacket chauffeur hats and a halloween mask let themselves in tied up the employees filled 14 canvas bags with 2.7 million dollars and fled it took about 30 minutes For nearly six years, the robbers went undetected, waiting to use the cash for the statute of limitation ran out on January 17th, 1956. But just a few days before that date, they were caught and fighting did them in. One of the robbers made good on a threat to talk, striking a deal with the FBI after the others put out an unsuccessful, unsuccessful hit on him. Eight of the robbers served time and two died awaiting trial. Little of the money was ever recovered. Legend has it that it is hidden in the hills north of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. It's almost like pirate's treasure. All right, here we go. So that was for January 17th. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to catch up. I think I might be like three years behind when I'm on the right date, but we'll we'll see how it goes. You never know. Well, no, that makes no sense. At some point in like a year, I'm going to hit the right date. It'll be fine. But yeah, that's the true crime calendar. Um, Let's just jump into the case for today. It's true crime case. 
it's a little tough um there is a sexual abuse trigger so i'll just put that out right now this is uh, the jacob wetterling story so i wouldn't be surprised if you guys have already heard about jacob wetterling he was one of the at the time he was the most or he the search for him went the most widespread it was the biggest search for a missing child is what i'm trying to say (laughs) so it's very intense and i wouldn't be surprised if you guys heard about it because of how massive it went and how many just it was like a domino effect of all the things that it changed so jacob jacob wetterling he lived in saint joseph's minnesota so ironic that story talked about minnesota it also talked about the statute of limitation in it and this one also has something annoying with the statute of limitation so he had a mom and a dad patty and jerry and three siblings amy trevor and carmen patty said about her son that jacob was funny he was smart he loved sports and he could do a play-by-play better than any sportscaster. He hated when things were unfair. I think that's telling because... Okay, sorry. So this is a quote. He hates when things are unfair. I think that's telling because you can't get more unfair than this. He stood up for his friends. He was a good friend and had a great sense of humor. So that's Patty recalling Jacob. So unfortunately, Jacob does not survive this story. On Sunday, October 27th, 1989... Jacob and his father went fishing in the morning and then came back for the Vikings kickoff game. This was kind of like a tradition that him and his father or his whole family actually did. They were Vikings fan, which I guess good for them. They can be Vikings fans, whatever. I won't judge them. (laughs) Trevor called their... Oh, sorry. I'm skipping ahead. Later that evening, their parents went out to like a house party and left the kids at home and they let um, Jacob's best friend... Aaron Lashton come over for the night. So the parents were at the party probably around like the middle of it, a couple hours in, and they get a phone call. And it's Trevor, one of their her sons, calling to ask if they can go rent a movie from a local convenience store. And uh Patty, the mom, said no because it was too late. And she was like, you know, guys, there's plenty of things to do. Find yourself something else. Just stay busy. I'm sure you can find something. But of course, these are three little boys. Um, Jacob is 11. I'm sh- uh, Trevor is a little younger than that. And Aaron's about the same age as Jacob. And when they get their minds set to something, they have to have it. So they really just kept begging and begging until she gave, gave in. And she said to bring flashlights, straight uh, head straight there and straight back. She even said that they lived in a country the country so there was really nothing in between them so she really wasn't super worried about it because they had done stuff like that before so later after they left they start coming back and trevor and aaron run are they're running back so they started on their bikes but now they're running back home and they went to their neighbor's house and they said that someone took jacob so the neighbors contacted their parents And at first, Patty was wondering, like, oh, did they just not like the movie they rented? What's going on? And Jerry said, no, someone took Jacob. So they ran right home and the police were called right away. Eventually, the FBI came into play as well because it is a missing child case. So a psychological profiler said that it's most likely a white loner with some physical deformity and had done something like this similar. 
oh, done a crime like this, similarly to this. So not their first time doing this. The boy said, uh, recalling what happened, that a man with a gun stopped them. He shot into the air and like spooked them out. And actually Aaron said that he was looking in the grass and he got like a very spooky feeling, like something wasn't right and he had chills from looking in that area. And then the gunshot happened and it just all kind of went wrong from there. So he forced them off of their bikes and had them throw them on the opposite direction. And then he, the man had them lay in the grass. He, the boys, oh, this is so sad. The boys offered them the movie that they got because they weren't sure what to do. And the man said, no, he asked them what their names and ages were. And uh, he asked Trevor, then Aaron, then Jacob. And he looked at Trevor and said, turn around, run, and don't look back. And then Aaron said, 10 seconds later, he said the exact same thing to Aaron. So they both ran. And he said, if you look back, I'm going to shoot you. So they're both running and running and running. And they stop at some point and look back and they see the man has Jacob's arm and is pulling them. So they start, they keep running again. They're running and running. They get to the tree line and they look back and they're gone. They're just gone. So they decide to just keep running home and that's when they get to the neighbor's house and ask them to call their parents so absolutely horrifying these poor little boys are having to go through this the police are asking them their story and oh my gosh their jake or aaron's best friend trevor's older brother has been taken just i can't even imagine so the police are surveying the scene trying to see what's going on if they can get any clues and they do find some shoe prints and some tire tracks on the scene. So they take their evidence, they take pictures or molds or whatever they do, and they get going from there. They start with some volunteers from the public to do a ground search. And unfortunately, they really don't find anything. So they decide to make it even more public and bring social media in, hoping Maybe someone will have saw, seen something, saw something, wow, seen something and come forward with it. So on Wednesday, the 25th of that month, the public held a prayer vigil for Jacob and they were kind of looking for people that seemed suspicious there, but unfortunately they really never found anyone. Thursday, the next day, a national news broadcaster spoke about Jacob's Jacob's kidnapping and a large, the larger businesses in the area decided to pull together and put up a reward for a safe return of a hundred thousand dollars. So this is what I mean, guys, by this was huge. And it wouldn't surprise me if you guys heard about this case already, just because of how much it was. So unfortunately, uh, fortunately, because it's so national or so so much people are hearing about it, the governor decides to put in the national guard. As And the FBI add 20 more agents to the case. And there's also horsebacks um, going around people, or excuse me, horsebacks, police on horsebacks and the public is searching. So they're just really going full force with this, really trying to locate Jacob's whereabouts. So the search goes on for, it was 700 square miles and uh, Jacob's parents even got to go on CNN. So it's a huge search. Everyone's hearing about this. A tip actually came in that Jacob was found safe in a certain location. And unfortunately, that wasn't true. It was just somebody trying to get either the money or 
whatever cruel people do that's just horrible and sick, honestly. Um, then on November 1st, a campaign was started sending out um, informational flyers with Jacob's information to places that they think he might be might be at so hospitals truck stops social agencies like um social worker agencies and things of that nature so they're really they're just they're doing all the right things and it's just nothing's turning up so even the minnesota twins and the minnesota wolverines support this i think the uh timberwolves did like a show in his honor and the twins did some kind of salute to Jacob to help just bring awareness to this case. On November 6th, the police relieve, release a sketch of the sus- suspicious man who was at the local um, gas station called the Tom Thumb because people were giving some tips here and there, but they weren't really super helpful. So the gas station, the, the people at the gas station said this guy looked really suspicious. So that's who they decided to do a sketch of. Six days after that sketch was made, two more were released. One was a man who was heard speaking of the abduction at that same gas station two weeks after. And the second was a man who attempted to kidnap another little boy in New Berlin, New Brighton, sorry, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. So those came out six days after. And then four days, or excuse me, eight days after that. So that was um, November 12th. This is November 20th. Agents start to unfortunately be taken off of the case because everything is just slowing down. There's no new evidence as much as they're trying to. Nothing is happening. But then something huge happens. About a month later, on December 13th, Jared, oh, I should have looked up how you say his last name, Cheryl, I think it's Cheryl. Oh boy, hold on. We're going to go with Cheryl because I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to look up how to pronounce the last name. And I'm sure he would forgive me because people mispronounce my last name and my first name all the time. So it's fine. I forgive all the people that mispronounce my name. So hopefully they'll forgive me when I mispronounce theirs. So Jared was ice skating sometime in January. They don't know the exact date. Um, he went to a gas station and got some chocolate malts afterwards and he asked one of his friends to walk him home, but unfortunately the friend said no. So Jared started walking home. His parents knew what time he was supposed to be home and they got kind of worried because it was taking a lot longer than normal. So they're looking for him, they're looking for him and eventually they actually find him. And the story that he tells them is just absolutely horrifying. So he said that he started to walk home when a car stopped him and forced him to get in, like basically like using a gun, saying, get get the F in the car. He was told to lay down with a blindfold on. And after about 15 minutes, they got onto this gravel road and stopped. And that's where he was sexually assaulted. Now, Jared, he was just this smart boy. I don't I think he was like 12 years old when this happened. But as soon as he sensed danger, he just started trying to find every detail he could have as some way to like remember, recall, find this guy basically. So he knew that there was a CBC radio in or a police scanner, not a CBC, a police scanner in this guy's car. While this evil, nasty slug was driving, Jared tried to remember every single turn that this guy was taking. 
So after the awful thing that the man did, he drove Jared back about two miles from his house. So he drove 15 minutes away and then he drove 15 minutes back to Cold Spring area and he let him go. But he did keep some of his clothes and he said, it's okay to talk about this, but if they come close to finding out who I am, I'll find you and I'll kill you. And then he told Jaren to run away. Wow, I keep saying wrong words, but it's fine. So Jared ran away. He ran as fast as he could. He got home. He told the police what happened. And he brought them to the spot as best as he could from what he can remember. He said that the man wore camo and like I said, he had a play scanner. What he had to do to remember where the spot was, was he laid down in the back of the cop car and tried to tell them when to turn based off of the feeling of being in that car. So after about three days, Jared brought his story forward and they suspected this man, Danny Heinrich from Painesville. He was brought in for questioning, but denied being a part of anything with the abduction. So Heinrich is what I will refer to him as. He wasn't, um, this wasn't the first time police met this guy. He was actually in the National Guard originally, and then he started getting into some trouble. There were a couple of um, burglary charges that he got put on himself, and then he got a couple DWIs. And while that was happening, a police officer noticed a police scanner in his car. So that was one of the main reasons why they put him on this, as well as some not great behavior. So he came back. So this was three days after Jared um, came forward. On January 12th, he came back for a second interview and provided some hair samples and shoe samples. He also allowed the police to take some take his rear tires of the vehicle because he was trying to connect Jared to Jacob's case. So that's why he did that. The Painesville Police Department told Police Chief Robert Shaminsky, um, or excuse me, the Painesville Police Department, uh, Police Chief, wow, why can't I say that? Who was Robert Shaminsky came into contact with the investigators on Jacob's case, and he told them that for about a year, starting in September of 1986, um, there were a bunch of cases of a man groping and chasing after younger kids, but he was never caught, but Heinrich was a main suspect, and Shaminsky believes that he was the one doing it, but they couldn't find any solid evidence, so he was never arrested, unfortunately. So keep in mind that this police chief told the investigators on this case. So not everyone, the investigators. On January 16th of 1990, the Wetterlings made the announcement to open a Wetterling Foundation, or excuse me, open Jacob Wetterling Foundation, which is now called Zero Abuse Project. And it is a really cool foundation. It brings awareness to abused and to the abused and offers help to people who are suffering from such things. So it's just a foundation that is so beautiful. It helps victims and educates people on the things that they have to go or that they do go through because of these horrible actions. Then at the end of January, police were able to get Heinrich's car, um, the one that he owned at the time of the investigation. It was very interesting because he tried to like give it away or like sell it or donate it, 
but the police of course can just get it so he they got it and they were going to look for samples or anything that they could use as evidence so they had jared sit in the car and asked him if he thought that this was the car and he was pretty sure but not quite sure he said out of 10 it was about an eight or nine he thought that was the car that they used or um heinrich used or excuse me the uh attacker the evil slug used who knows um for sure if it was heinrich um me i know just kidding allegedly i don't know if i have to say that but i'm gonna save it say that cover my butt they also a couple days later had jared look at a lineup of a couple men and heinrich was in it and he asked or the police asked jared to identify uh the abuser and he would he picked two of the guys and one of them was heinrich but he couldn't say for sure. So unfortunately, that really didn't take them anywhere. On January 24th, the investigators uh, were able to search Heinrich's father's home, which was the location of where he was living at the time of Jacob's abduction. So the police found a few police scanners, which like, I feel like you don't really need one, let alone a few, but whatever. Um, some other small things that they found weird, but then they look in this trunk and they find a few pictures of some boys. So one has a towel towel around him and the other has some underwear on him. And to me, like when I hear about that, I think, okay, so this drawer was completely full of pictures and he got rid of it and accidentally left two of them. That's what I think in my mind. But who knows? I could be wrong. So while all this is going on, the FBI are analyzing the tires and they say that they're very similar, but not exact. How? I guess. I don't understand how they could be similar, but not exact. Like, I feel like it's either the same kind of tire or it's not. That just didn't make sense to me. I thought that was weird. But, you know, I'm going to let the FBI do their thing. On January 30th, FBI take most of their agents off, leaving nine agents on the case. So like I said, unfortunately, very unfortunately, things like this don't stop happening. And they have to prioritize what's really hot, which it sounds really bad. But I understand that if there's a lot of leads on one case, you want to put everyone on it so they can solve it. So unfortunately, Jacob's case is starting to cool down. On February 9th, the FBI determined that the clothes from uh, the fibers from Jared's clothes were a match to the mercury that Heinrich owned, which is the mercury that they have right now. So that's something. That same day, they arrest Heinrich for assault and abduction on that little tiny thing. It's enough to arrest him, but not enough to keep him overnight. So the FBI is really trying their hardest. They set up the room and they have agents go in with these really thick uh, files and they're useless. It's all theater, but they're trying to scare Heinrich into admitting what happened. And unfortunately it does not work. So they have to let him go, which really sucks. Like it really, really sucks, but they have to let him go. So after that, the police turn back to Jared and they try and pull every single detail out of that young boy's brain. They pull him from school. And this is the worst part to me is that obviously it was anonymous because Jared is a minor. The attack 
um, on him. The reports are all anonymous in the public, but people are seeing him being pulled out of class continuously by police and it's a small town. So because of small town whispers, people know that Jared's a victim and kids are just cruel. So I have no idea what they were saying, but I can't imagine that it was fun. Even if they weren't saying anything wrong, it's not fun to be the person that they're, oh, that poor kid. Oh, oh, poor you. Are you going to be okay? Like sometimes you just want to forget. You just want to be left alone, you know? So unfortunately, Jared had to deal with that. But like I said, police continued to push Jared and push Jared and push Jared to his breaking point. And they actually made him cry. They were like, you know who it is. Like, Tell us, pull it from you. You know who it is. Just say it. And he wanted to help. He wanted to, but he just didn't have it. The guy was wearing a mask. So he started crying and his parents just had it at that point. So they stopped the questioning and they actually moved to a completely different town, which is where Painesville comes in, about 20 miles away. Um, then switching back over to Jacob, it's Jacob's 12th birthday on February 17th. So sad. So, so sad. The Jacob Wetterling Foundation launches on his birthday and raises $200,000 on the opening day. On April 13th, the FBI analyzer says that the shoe prints, shoe prints, again, are similar, but they can't say for sure because of lack of evidence. Again. I don't understand that. I feel like it's either a yes or a no. But like I said, I'm going to let the FBI do their thing because I have no idea. Not a single clue. So October 22nd marks, October 22nd, 1990, excuse me, marks the first anniversary of the abduction. And a thousands, uh, 1,000 show up to show their love and support because they have like an anniversary uh, memorial for Jacob. That next year, so things start to slow down a lot, that next year on February the 8th, Heinrich gets his property back after the search warrant that was given January 24th. So January 24th, the search warrant was set. February 8th, they get off the property. So that's a long time. Unless they hopefully did a very thorough search. So May, this the next year, so 19, or excuse me, this is the same year, May 24th of 1991, Senator Durnenberger proposes a database for people who commit crime against children, against a child, and call it the Jacob Wetterling Act, and it is approved September 13th. And in 2006, so like 20 years later, uh, what is that actually, 25 years later, no, 15, sorry, 15 years later, Bush approves a national registry, which is what we all know now, and we're all thankful for that now. So it was the Jacob Wetterling Foundation that started that um, database, and then uh, the the senator wanted to add it for the state, and then Bush made it for the whole country. So it's just crazy that that little tiny foundation, which is now a big foundation, could start that, which it's incredible. So once again, things are starting to slow down more and more. Police are running into dead ends. So they start to uh, look for anything that they feel could be a lead. Patty says about the case, I've had the opportunity to, opportunity to meet many other searching parents and to meet children who come home. And I thought, what point do you quit? Six months? A year and a half? 18 years? 
I can't do that. When your child is born, you look into their eyes. You promise them that you'll be there for them. I haven't been able to be there for him, but I can honor my promise that I will never give up on him, which like chokes up, chokes me up a little bit. On October of 2003, a man named Kevin comes forward and he says that he drove through the crime scene after he heard about it on the scanner. He was not considered a suspect, but just a really crappy person because wow, just wow. Like, don't do that. Don't be Kevin. Don't be a Kevin, honestly, because that freaking sucks. Like, why would you do that? Ugh, just just idiotic. Because then what if they you leave evidence, your DNA or something, and then they're going to come after you? Like, I feel like people have been convicted on smaller things because, you know, people get wrongfully convicted. convicted. Just look at the Memphis Three. So police get a new lead, Vernon Seitz, and he is a man who previously passed away in Milwaukee and he confessed to killing two boys to a psychiatrist, which I don't understand this because I feel like killing is something that you can break your patient uh, doctor confidentiality, but I don't know. The police searched his home. Oh, I should say that he, the psychiatrist, oh, wow. The psychiatrist told the police after um, Vernon died. So the police searched his home and found a poster from Jacob's missing, um, like a missing Jacob poster, laminated. They found child porn. They found books on cannibalism and many other disturbing things, which I don't know if there's any other disturbing thing that can be found in there because those are all the disturbing things so not a great guy but like i said he had passed away and he was actually ruled out he was not a dna match for the dna they found on jared's um sweatshirt so in 2004 police tried to get jacob's neighbor to confess to something um i'm leaving his name out because he didn't do anything like they were grasping at straws at that point And Jacob's mom, and I understand this because I would probably be the same way. Jacob's mom wanted to confront the neighbor and ask him, like meet up with him in person and ask him in person, but he declined, which again, I totally understand that. But police end up searching the neighbor's property and find squat, nothing. They even took DNA tests, uh, tests for DNA evidence. So things they thought like maybe could have something on it. But two months later, they got nothing. Not a single thing came back with anything they can use. So unfortunately, it just turns into a cold case. And like I said, Patty, she still thinks about it. She still remembers the case and tries to push, bring awareness. She never drops it. On July of 2012, a Minnesota Bureau, Bureau of Criminal Apprehension found two different male DNA samples on the wrist of Jacob's sweatshirt from the attack. So they start to analyze it, I think, or do what they can with it. But in 2013, that's when things start to get a little spicy, guys. Almost 20 years later, a blogger, her name was Joy Baker, found a case found the case about Jacob and decided to write about it because she saw it, I think, on TV and she was like, how have we not found this boy, this man who who would be a man now 20 years later how can we not find him so she goes full force into this case she's researching and researching and looking and going to the library looking up news articles 
And that's when she finds Jared and she wants to speak with him. So unfortunately, Jared has lived with this guilt. He knew about Jacob's case and he really felt like it was the same person. And it weighed really heavy on him that he was the only survivor. At least is what he thought. But she also, um, Joy, in her research, found multiple articles about a man or multiple cases about a man who was sexually assaulting boys in Painesville three years before Jared and Jacob's attack. So Painesville, I don't know if I said this, that's where Jared moved after his attack, after the police really pushed him too far. His parents um, moved him about 20 miles away into Painesville, which I feel like I say that later, but that wouldn't make sense. Oh, well, well now you know, that's what happens. He said that it was almost the same as Jared and Jacob, where he grabs them, he asks their name and their age, he assaults them, and he lets them go. So basically the exact same as Jared, pretty close to Jacob. So police never found this man, but Joy thinks it's the same guy, and she tells that to Jared. So FBI never connected these assaults. They never thought they were the same. So I don't know if you remember me saying this, the Painesville Police Department did tell the investigators, but I don't think they told the FBI. So the FBI even say that they failed on their part with this one. So it's good that they can admit that, that this was like pretty big, but it's not going to change the past. But at least you got it now. So Joy and Jared start working hard to get some answers. They start contacting whoever they can about this, including the victims. And the, the victims actually, or the people they talked to, said that they felt really comfortable with Jared and Joy. And I'm guessing it's because they're just civilians. They're not police officers. So they get a lot of information from them. Three years later. So remember when I told you about the FBI taking that sample from um, Jared's sleeve? Three years later. DNA technology has advanced and they are able to test the hair samples on Jacob's clothes and it shows that it is Heinrich. Or I should say this. It shows that Heinrich could not be excluded from the DNA sample and that this example excludes 99.5% of the population because of its quality. So I don't understand any of it. I just understand what they say. And I guess they can't say specifically that it's this one person. They can just say that the likelihood of it being him is like 99.9%. So this is a quote, and I don't know if this will help understand a little bit more. But um, the predominant profile would not be expected to occur more than once among unrelated individuals in the world's population. It is estimated that 80.5% of the general population could be excluded uh, from being a contributor. So I read one article that said 99.5 and this one says 80.5. So I'll let you guys choose. Either way, really, really high. So at this point, unfortunately, even though it's a match, the police have to tell Jared that the statute of limitation was up and he could not be charged. Like I said, statute of limitation, just like the story. So Jared is livid, which I don't understand how you could have a statute of limitation on this. I don't understand that. I would be too. But the police do file a criminal complaint against Heinrich on October 27th of 2015. I don't know what this is. (laughs) 
I didn't even try to look it up because it was weird. Like a criminal complaint. What? But I'm assuming it's because they can't arrest him because of the statute of limitation. But I don't understand what it is. But it sounds like they're at least trying. So on April 26th of 2016, Heinrich's lawyers really start to fight for him. They get the judge to declare or they try to get the judge to declare that the property search was illegal, that there is no means to it, but nothing happens with that. On August 31st, so five days later, 2016, Heinrich agrees to a plea deal. So what does this plea deal consist of? (laughs) You're not going to like it. So the deal was to only charge him with child pornography charges. Not the murder, not the kidnapping, but this is only if they sh- he shows where Jacob's body is. I hate this. This sucks. I know you're all thinking it, but Patty, Jacob's mom, said that she did not hesitate with this deal. She agreed with it because it had been so long and she just wanted to know where Jacob was at that point. So it doesn't matter how we feel because Patty wanted this and I I respect that. And I guess if I were in her position, I'd probably feel the same. So what happened was he put um, Jacob's body on a farm in Painesville, about 30 miles outside of St. Joseph's, which St. Joseph's is where um, he's from. Uh, Jacob was from. So it was close to where Heinrich was located at the time. So on September 6th of 2016, Jacob's body was located, which actually is tomorrow so uh what is that what would that be um seven years tomorrow will be the anniversary of finding jacob wow it's weird how that happens i feel like stuff like that happens where like i'll accidentally incorporate something in real life with this with my case whatever like old ogden the town of ogden i see that town everywhere i go now like that name ogden is everywhere So, Heinrich's confession. Oh, guys. Oof, oof, oof. So, he saw three boys riding their bikes, and he pulled into the driveway in front of their path. They passed him, and then he waited. On the way back, he pulled them out, and or he grabbed his mask and his revolver, and he approached them and told them to get into the ditch. And once he was there, he asked their name and their age, and the boys tried to give him the movie rental to make the guy happy, but he said no. He told Aaron and Trevor to run and not look back. And then he put handcuffs on Jacob and then he threw him in the car. He took Jacob to a remote location and he sexually assaulted Jacob. Oh, gosh. So horrible. Jacob asked what he did wrong. He asked what he did wrong. Like Patty said, Jacob hated when things were unfair. And man, guys, this is just so unfair. So this nasty human being... He he got nervous when he saw all the cop court cars going by, so he took Jacob's life with a gun. He returned a few hours, so he just left, left him, and he returned a few hours later to bury the body. He went back a few times, and eventually he um, dug his body up and moved him to a different location, and that's where they found him on that farm. What an evil freaking slug. Like, it just makes me want to throw up. It's just so horrible. So every family dinner... So Patty finally got her peace. She said that for some reason, after fearing that, she just felt a blanket of calm go over her. 
So it's nice that they can have that peace that Jacob could be laying to rest. Every family dinner, Patty, which is Jacob's mom, she prepares steak in his honor because they took a video of him like 10 days before all this horribleness happened. And it said that his favorite food was steak. His best friend was Aaron. And they he said that his newest friend was, I can't remember what his name was, but it was just so sweet. So they do that to honor Jacob and the family still carries him in his heart, in their hearts. His father, Jerry, says that the gunshots may have snuffed him his breath, but they will never be able to take away his spirit. So like I said, even though um, the case is solved, unfortunately, Jacob is gone. He still lives on and he still has the foundation that's going so strong. So that's the case of Jacob and his life being taken way too soon. If you want to see some pictures on this case, you can go on to Instagram, um, YDWK podcast, or Facebook is just you don't want to know. You can also send me an email, um, hopefully a nice one, um, with case suggestions or stories of your own. Uh, whether that being something spooky, something crazy, something true crime, just anything like that, that's ydwkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, I am sorry for being inconsistent, but I am working on it. Hopefully, um, I think I'm going to be able to get back on track because there's nothing crazy planned. Um, but thanks, guys, for listening. I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Nate. And I'm Andrew. And we are the hosts of Two Beards Please podcast. I asked him if he'd ever done this before. He said that he had. So you're asking these questions while you're on the operating table? Just before we start, right. So you didn't think to ask these questions nah, like in a consultation visit? I really or didn't care. I just wanted lines. to roll along the hot knife cauterization <laughs> as long as I could. I also had some adults come to my door, not with kids. Did you give them candy? I did. What's wrong with you? What's they deserve apples. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite comedy movie that I could think of in four hours when some idiot says, what's your favorite four comedy movies of all time? <laughs> okay. This beardy is based on a limited amount of time, and I only had two beers. <laughs> laugh with us or laugh at us. Either way, you're laughing, and we're responsible. Find all of the links to our social media as well as major listening platforms on our website, twobeardsplease.com.